0: Hello there.
1: At last we will reveal ourselves to the Jedi. At last we will have revenge.
0: Hello there. Welcome to a podcast about Star Wars Shadow Point and the Star Wars universe. My name is Jesse Aiken and I'm joined by my co-host Amon Kusro. How are we doing today, Amon? Doing great, man. Pretty excited to continue the Ewok
1: train here and, of course, talk about some new updates to Star Wars Shadow Point from a rules perspective.
0: Absolutely. Unexpected rules document changes and more Ewoks. We're going to talk about the rest of this Ewok group because it's, we're in this unusual place with these boxes where it's two boxes that kind of give us the whole picture of this Ewok setting, right? That we need to know. And last time we covered Leia and the first Ewoks, and now we're just going to close it out.
1: I think that makes total sense. I'm pretty excited to. Talk about the Yubnub Squad Pack.
0: Well, before we do that, we have some people to thank real quick, starting with Mr. Laser. Hello, there is affiliated with Mr. Laser at mr-laser.square.site, your resource for everything Shatterpoint. Use the code There 5 to get 5% off your order. Once again, all these Shatterpoint pre-orders are up in his store right now. So grab your Ewok, Plo boxes, maybe a Vader or Luke box, and use our code hellothere5 to get 5% off your order. It lets Mr. Laser know we sent you, and it gives you a nice discount.
1: Absolutely. We also have a great partnership with Imperial Terrain, your resource for the number one Star Wars tabletop terrain for both Star Wars Shatterpoint and Star Wars Legion. John, the owner, is a fantastic fellow and is really big on supporting the community, letting tournaments and organizers borrow his personal pieces of terrain, as well as, of course, sourcing terrain for them as well. So Supporting him helps support your community and organized events. And then, of course, big shout out to Jesus as well, his lead sculptor, I believe. He sculpted some of their more recent terrain pieces, and I'm a big fan of the Java, the Hut one.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. And Jesus has done a lot of cool stuff. I've actually got some Tatooine stuff from John's website from him, most notably that's fun to fight on, that big sand crawler and the Tuscan village. Very cool stuff and get some variety in your Shatterpoint boards. As the game grows, the more variety we have, not only is it more fun for players, but it asks more questions for you as a player. It's highly recommended. Of course, our show cannot function without our patrons. Our patrons support us at patreon.com slash hello there If you enjoy our show and would like to gain access to our private Discord community, our private TTS leagues, and much, much more, check out the Patreon tiers, and you get a bonus feed of the podcast, and we want to take this time to thank all of our patrons for their support.
1: Absolutely. We've got four new patrons this week. We have two in the Jedi Knight Sith Warrior tier with Byneld and Nevin. And then for the Padawan Acolyte tier, we have Shane and Kyle.
0: Thanks for your support. Thank you guys so much. And of course, the people that get the shout out every episode because they are producers of this show. Thank you, producer Bounty Hunter Brady. And thank you, ultimate producers, Sith Emperor Kevin, Grandmaster Griffin, and Daimyo Matt. Appreciate everything you guys do. All right, I'm let's jump right into this new rules update.
1: Absolutely. So there's a couple changes that I wanted to point out. And if you want to check these out yourself, if you go to Star Wars official website on AtomicMassGames.com SWP, you can actually click on the FAQ and errata section where you can download a PDF. And at the end of the PDF, there is going to be a core rulebook change log. So a couple things were changed. These changes were put in blue. So just running through them very quickly. We won't be discussing much of this today, mostly because we want to stay on track and jump on that Ewok hype train. They've added an Appendix D for Battle Tactics cards, which is quite relevant for today's episode. And we'll talk about that as we get to that section. They've changed the naming convention on wounded and injured tokens and updated related examples. Now, this one I do want to spend a little bit of time on, Jesse, just because I think a majority of the community online was kind of using these invertedly, right? And even some of the games we were
0: playing locally. Is that your experience? Absolutely. This has even come up in some recent local tournaments here because some people were playing it by the rule book as it was read, myself included, and other people were reading it by this new convention, which is a little bit more intuitive. So inadvertently, it was causing some confusion in local games because people were saying, oh, that person's wounded, not injured, or that person's injured, not wounded, right? So hopefully now we can provide a lot of clarity to this, match the symbols. It's an interesting change. You're flipping it on its head entirely, right?
1: Yeah, and you know, to be honest, this may have been way they intended for all of us to play from the get-go. It's just we may have misconstrued as a community, and of course, when one person does it, then everyone follows suit. And that's probably what happened. But there is, on page 34 of the rule book a example with pictures. And it pretty much has a picture of Bo-Katan, who has 8 damage, which is enough to obviously have her be wounded. She has pinned and exposed. Now, it has all the examples of the tokens on there. So for the final say on this and ultimate clarity from the makers of the game, a wounded token is the side of the token, which has the damage. It looks like an explosion kind of, or like an effect that happens when someone's like pow and get punched in the face in a comic book or something. So it's a yellow fractured exploding looking star on a red background. That is the wounded token. Right below it, there is a picture that says the player flips the wounded token to the injured side, removes all damage, and one condition. So they remove the pin instead of the exposed. And then, now the
0: injured token is the lifeline. Yeah. So you'd flip that explosion over to the lifeline, that heartbeat, now to show that you're awake. So just going through the steps fully, Boca 10 takes the damage to give her a wounded token, which is the explosion. And then I pull Bo-Katan in the future, I wake her up, I take the damage off, I flip that explosion token over to the lifeline, there we go. Easy peasy. Now moving on, there are some additional changes as well.
1: So mission card images in the rulebook were updated to show erratic card text, there was a clarification on timing when a new struggle is drawn after one player wins a struggle, and also there was an update to the timing of steps of taking a turn to reflect this change. There's updated language around applying the damage pool to better reflect the timing chart. There's updated the timing chart as well from making an attack to clarifying timing inside the modified die step. And then they also updated the timing of additional damage gained from duplicated damage while resolving an attack. All good stuff. All great stuff. A lot of it is just quality of life improvement just to make things easier to digest from a reader's perspective. I think the modified die step is particularly interesting, but that mainly as we were discussing right before the show began
0: revolves around count dooku yeah let's go through that window real quick Iman. here before we jump into that so basically dooku we could call it a nerf really right he just a slight it kind change. of is yeah kind of is dooku has less perfect knowledge now when he's fighting you though he still has a pretty good window so you just wanted to run through those windows real quick one
1: absolutely so if we go to stage six of making an attack there's a Modify dice roll step. So essentially how it's going to work is 6A1, the attacker resolves abilities, and any non-expertise effects that add change, remove, and re-roll dice results in the attack roll. And then 6A2, the defender resolves abilities and effects that add change, remove, and re-roll dice rolls in the attack roll. Then you go to B, which is modifying the defense roll, which of course the attacker and then the defender go in that order. And then lastly you apply expertise charge. So one and then two. So essentially what that means is that Dooku has to choose to modify the attack rolls before defense rolls can possibly be modified, which means it's not right before we see who has damage, Dooku can kind of look at everything as a whole and then change some dice rolls. Now instead, there is a, I suppose, a risk that it couldn't be as efficient as it was or as clinical as it was in the past.
0: So thanks for reading those steps, Amon. Essentially, the most simple way I think to discuss the duku slight nerf is now duku makes a decision, he pays the cost, he changes the dice and then expertise happens for both players. So what that means is expertise can still sneak through. you're not like on duku, right? So it is a weakness to him he he's getting less information and he's getting less agency over the entire dice pool as a whole but you know his ability is still really good.
1: I completely agree it's a great ability. It's just brought more into line with how the game is supposed to function.
0: Yeah, and presumably he's going to get to strike back less now because a strike is going to sneak through or something like that. And Presumably, yeah. Yeah, so all around slight nerf to Dooku and clarity on the timing, which is great. And as Amon said, we'll cover the tactics card m- rule later when we get to it in this episode. All right, Aman, let's just jump right into today's episode and get right back to Ewoks. To be super clear, last episode we covered a lot of the Ewoks... As a whole, and I will cover that briefly, just holistically and evergreen here. But if you want more information on the Ewoks as a whole, definitely check out last episode. But basically, real quick, the Ewoks were a small in stature species that were primitive, Stone Age civilization, native to the forest moon of Endor. They're not very tall, they're only about a meter tall, but they're dense, they're heavy. We talked about this in last box episode. Thick boys. They weigh a lot more than you would think for their size, which is great. And they're very strong as well. Like we discussed in the last episode, they're as strong as a man, a grown person. So very notable as well. And today we're talking about Logre first. So Logre was the shaman of the Bright Tree Village. Of course, during this point, we meet the Ewoks. And as we said last episode, all of our discussions are kind of Bright Tree Village, but there are so many tribes of Ewoks all across Endor. There's 30 million Ewoks on Endor. Bright Tree Village is just one village, and it just happens to be the village that our primary characters of Star Wars landed in, and that village being led by Chief Chirpa and Logre. Now, Logre was the medicine man. Logre was their kind of religious figurehead, their priest per se, and he helped them commune with the forest and the sun, the golden one, that's what they call it in the Ewok lore. And a lot has changed in the lore of Star Wars. Of course, Logre used to have a lot more content and legends, but that has been slimmed down in canon. But who he is remains. So he was an elder Ewok. He has really awesome, notable markings. I think he's one of the most striking Ewoks of the group where he has light brown fur, but with off-white stripes all over his body. And then he's wearing that that eagle skull on top of his head. And then he has a a staff that's made out of bone as well. Keeping in theme with our last episode with Chief Sherpa, Logre's gear is based off of the animals he's hunted and defeated. So same with his staff and his eagle skull. And what's interesting about Logre and why he's important to the story, the Imperials take over Endor. In fact, when they built the shield generator, they destroyed a village of Ewoks to build that. So all the Ewoks around Endor like, what's happening? What are all these machines? What's all this technology taking over? The tribe's spirits were really low. And Logre was saying, the golden god will bless us, take care of us. I have faith what's interesting is Logre was on a walk in the woods, like a walkabout, trying to figure out what to do. And he saw Luke, Han, Chewie, R2, and 3PO walking through the woods. And he, he saw 3PO and said, is this the golden god? Is this the golden one? And this is a fun part of canon that's been added recently. He saw 3PO trip immediately and fall down and be the classic 3PO he is. And he's like, oh no, I was mistaken. That's not the golden god. That's not the golden one. But the spirits of the tribe are so low, they think they're at the end of their life because the nearby village was just destroyed for the shield generator and all this stuff. I'll store that away in my mind. Now, of course, the scouting party, the trappers, which we're going to talk about today, capture Lu Khan, Chewie, Artoon, Threepio, and they immediately start worshiping Threepio because they believe he's the golden one. They bring them back to the village. Logre knows that he's not the golden one. He's figured it out already, but... He sees basically the tribe rally around 3PO being the Golden One. It also tells them, yes, he is the Golden One. So I think it's a very fascinating change to lore and legends. Logre actually believed 3PO was the Golden One or a prophet of the Golden One. That's changed now. So now he knew the whole time and he let the tribe believe it. I don't know if I like that change. It's interesting. I get in the sense that Logre. More than meets the eye, smarter than. Yeah. And he knew what the tribe needed. You know, because clearly this rallied them, right? It helped them win the battle as well. Because, I mean, they're protecting PO, They're protecting their village. They're protecting their planet, their moon. Well, let's talk about some of Logre's abilities and stuff. So Logre did have a mild Force sensitivity. We don't really get to see what his powers are in canon, but everyone's connected to the Force in Star Wars, and he had a connection to the Force, which, of course, similar to the Dathomirians, not a Jedi-Sith way. This is a nature way, communing with the Force. And in Legends lore, which I mentioned in the episode with Kevin, and this was the different side of the story, because things were so dire with the tribe, Lograce started performing dark rituals, animal, animal sacrifices, and was going to sacrifice Han, Luke, and Chewie, basically as a sacrifice. That's still canon, because they were going to sacrifice Han, Luke, and Chewie to Threepio in a way of, not necessarily in a sacrifice, but a, we're going to have a banquet in Threepio's honor, you know what I mean? <laughs> And that's, that's what happens in the movie until Luke tells 3PO, tell them you use your magic. And then Luke starts lifting 3PO in the chair up in the sky, and all the walks say, okay, maybe we shouldn't eat these people, you know? But it's interesting. You got two sides of Logre. You got the new Logre that's aware of everything going on, you got the old Logre who's kind of getting darker in the force as things go on because everything's so dire. And what's interesting about that old Logre is in Legends, that Logre starts doing more and more of this dark rituals and more of this kind of almost dark side level magic. And this is post the Battle of Endor, of course. That Gray gets banished from the tribe, which is crazy. Chirpa banishes him, which is a, also a, a double-edged sword because Gray and Chirpa go way back to their youth. And this is legends again, but as Gray got excommunicated from the tribe, he cursed the village, saying he predicted doom for those who dare mock the dark rituals of nature. And Poplu becomes the new shaman and convinces the village that he can lift the curse and ask 3PO to say some words. And 3PO lifts the curse, you know? But that's like old legends lore. And I find it so interesting that, like, we had a much darker low Gray who kind of maybe tapped into the dark side a little bit or definitely tapped in the side of power, right? That he had over the village. And it's super interesting. Canon Gray that doesn't happen, he stays around for a long time until his tenure is up, you know, just like chief Chirpa. But I like both stories a lot because both stories, low being the elder he is and the shaman he is, he knows more than the rest of the village. He just does. And both legends and Canon and the way he uses that elder power is kind of interesting. It is interesting because you can look at it in two different ways, right? Mm-hmm.
1: And I'm talking more about what's Canon. Yeah. Is when you're the elder, and maybe you can relate because you're a parent. Sometimes when you have information, you can twist information in order to uplift the the community or your family and steer them in a direction that you know will be better for them in the long run, despite the fact that you might be not lying, but twisting the truth in a manner which will ultimately benefit everyone around you. You can also look at this and say, Oh, he just manipulated the Ewoks in order to get whatever needed to be done. But I I don't believe that to be true. Whether he saw 3PO Trip or not, at the time, he was thinking about a way to rally his people, find a symbol. He found it in 3PO. And ultimately, it's a huge gamble, but it pays off. But at the same time, is it a huge gamble? Because they were already at their lowest point, right? Yeah. So anything would have helped raise spirits and brought them back to their original way of life. So legend stuff is wild. Yeah. Where it's Sith... Low gray, pretty much, like, which is pretty interesting. Kind of like
0: Dathomirian, kind of. Yeah.
1: I'm not against it. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think that's kind of cool. I'm also glad that it is Legends because I think Low gray is really cool. And I would hate to have seen him exiled and fall down a path that maybe doesn't represent how people view Ewoks. Right. I agree. Especially if they're not deep into that Legends storyline. So it's very interesting. Ultimately, I'm glad that. It does prove that Ewoks have some sort of link to the force. Yeah. Whether that's minor. through magic or magic with yeah. a K or not, but lends further credence to the fact that in Legends there was a Ewok Jedi as well. So
0: it's true. And it's also the lens too of that an Ewok to have a connection to the Force is very rare, right? So Logre is special in that way as well, even though it's a minor connection to the Force. But everything's part of the living force, right? In the Star Wars Galaxy, which is absolutely great. And I will mention, in that Legends story, Amon, he is banished from the village, he's never to return. Poplu takes over as the shaman, like I mentioned, which is kind of a cool anecdote. He's so exiled that he's actually removed from the songs of the tribe, because the way their culture works is you're added to song, and the way they pass down their ancestor stories is through song, and he's even removed from the songs. He's just taken out like he never existed, because the Ewoks... I know it's funny and comedic to say the Ewoks are savage and all this stuff, but really they're not, you know what I mean? They're just defending their home. And it's still not even confirmed in the canon, and I, we touched on this a little bit last episode, but it's still not even fully confirmed in the canon that the Ewoks even ate the stormtroopers. I will mention that as well. Now, Gray and Legends, he was eating some stormtroopers for sure. But I mentioned that Ewoks are omnivores, and they even, in fact, prefer fruit and berries as their main source of food. They don't eat as much like protein. But I just mentioned all that because I think it's all its all kind of in the mythos of Ewoks that we don't fully understand because George intentionally hasn't shown all of it in canon to us, which is fun. But I think Logre is an awesome Ewok, and he's a massive part of the story. And last part of canon for Logre, which I think is fun, Logre alongside Luke Skywalker officiate Han and Leia's wedding on Endor. I love that. Imagine you have a
1: Ewok officiant, and they're just speaking Ewokese. That's right. And you have no idea what's going on. And you have and, Jedi Master Luke Skywalker there too. Exactly. So in the last episode, the last box is called Ichiwama, right? And so I kept trying to think, what does that even mean? I say it a lot. Yeah. So it just means, wow. So I went down this rabbit hole of Iwaki's... Ichiwama. And, yeah. You're saying it right. Ichiwama. That's right. <laughs> so it, it's, it's really fascinating because the way that the language was developed... Is Of course, it was debuted in Return of the Jedi, but it actually wasn't identified as Iwaki's until Star Wars Legends continuity in the novelization of the film. So Ben Burt was the sound designer, and he largely based the language on Kalmyk Oryat, which I might not be doing justice to that, but it's actually a dialect of Russian of Kalmyk ethnicity. So what he did is he heard that in a documentary, and he got an 80-year-old Kalmyk woman to speak tales of her people through her native tongue. He recorded the sounds, and then with various actors imitating various portions of the recording, he then came up with Iwakis. And it's really interesting because Bert and then actor Anthony Daniels later used and even invented their own terms in the language when doing the scene where particularly 3PO is reciting the story of the Rebel Alliance efforts to stop the empire, so yep. I think that's really fascinating. I tried to figure out what Yubnub meant, and obviously, it's a song; it's the victory yep. celebration. Yep. But it also means celebrate the freedom. Love that. But it also means, it, depending on where you read it, it also means friend.
0: So I don't know. Makes perfect sense. No, I, I mean, mean, there's multiple phrases or meanings for the phrase. That's so interesting, man. That reminds me of like Hatiz being based off of Quechua. Which Ben Burt just had great ideas, which was an indigenous language spoken by people living in the Andes in South America, small regions. And that's what they based Huttese off of as well. And Huttese is one of the main languages in the Star Wars universe, right? We hear it all over the place. We hear Bounty Hunters say it. We see. It, we hear Hutts say it. Greedo speaks it in the first movie. So Greedo speaking it to Han. So I love the backstory of Ben Burt and his brilliance. You know, that guy is just the greatest. I mean, Star Wars is nothing without its sound. And then that's what the full story of that is. You've got Ben Burt passing the torch to Matthew Wood, General Grievous. He's been doing it since episode one. And you got these great minds working on to bring us Star Wars languages and things, you know? Yeah. And also, if you go to Oga's
1: cantina in Black Spire Outpost on the outer there. room planet Batuu, which <laughs> you have been at the galaxy's edge, there's also a drink called the Ubnub, which is an orange flavored fruity alcoholic beverage. orange and- container.
0: Yes, it looks really cool. It's like a yeah. wooden tiki that the Ewoks hand carved, type thing. Absolutely, or ceramic tiki.
1: So this particular Yubnub that they're referencing is the word freedom, mm. and the drink includes seeds from imported Endorian fruit. So it's love suitable it. for human consumption.
0: Perfect. Gotta love the Ewoks. It's good stuff. Yeah, I think Yubnub summarizes really well, man. I'm glad you brought that up. The gist of the Ewok people—they just wanted freedom. They just wanted their planet back and their forest back, and they got it. They made it happen. But they also wanted freedom from that feeling of doom that they were having yeah. as well,
1: right? Oppression, yeah. Oppression and doom. So 3PO out here being the prophet of the sun god or whatever. That's or right. The sun god himself. The golden perhaps. one.
0: Yeah. The golden one. Well, Low Gray rules. And let's get into Low Gray and Star Wars Shatterpoint.
1: Yes. Let's talk about his rules. So, Logre is a primary unit. Logre, Bright Tree Shaman. Comes with three force and eight strike points. He's got a stamina of nine, a durability of two,
0: and he has the tags Endor, Ewok, and Shaman. Shaman, that's so interesting. Eight points. Come on. Chirpa and Leia brought a seven, so he's notable in that way. It's interesting because, obviously, in order to play the full Ewok list, you
1: take Logre, and then you take one of the other two. Yeah. I prefer Chirpa if you're going fully walk, And I think it makes sense because I think partially that box pays strike point tax because of the synergies that Leia can provide. And because mm. boxes have to total up to the points that the primary brings, at least what we've seen so far in Star Wars Shatterpoint, what we're seeing is Chirpa had to be seven. And so I'm sure he was buffed in that regard. So it's nice to see a little bit more Options in terms of maybe one primary like Chirpa or Leia is potentially sl- stronger than Low Gray, but the supports and secondaries that Low Gray can bring might be equal or stronger in that regard. So it's a nice overall balance for the
0: Ewok lists. Absolutely, well said, Amon. And also, Low Gray is going to potentially give you more options in the future to maybe open up that Rebel synergy if he's with Leia, right? Because he's just his squad is a little bit more open and free with that one more point to play with. So I don't know. Well, time will tell.
1: Time will tell. Let's get into Lograce's first ability, a tactics ability called Inspiring Presence. At the start of this unit's activation, each allied Ewok warrior unit gains hunker and may remove two damage or one condition from itself.
0: Then each allied Ewok scout character may dash. Incredible. Incredible. We got a Kalani level ability here. But you do have to be cognizant and aware of which Ewoks are warriors and which ones are scouts.
1: Yes. Now, to go over that list very quickly, Ewok Hunters and Wicket are warriors. Trappers are scouts. Aplu oh. is a scout as well. And Chirpa's nothing. Nothing. He's chief. He's chief. So we have chief shaman, two scout units, two warrior units, which is pretty flexible and actually makes for an amazing tactics ability because it says each allied Ewok warrior unit. So you can
0: gain two hunkers with the warriors and dash the scouts, which makes sense. It does make a lot of sense. I like it a lot. Flexibility. And this is a tactic, so it's always going to happen, right? It's not going to be affected by force costs or anything. Absolutely. Now, moving on, we have Elder's Command, which does cost a force. This
1: is an active ability. Choose an allied Ewok supporting character within range four. The chosen character may dash, then may gain hunker, remove one condition from itself, or make a five dice attack. Love to see it separatist it's really good man yeah ewok tactical network right it's very good i mean dude it really is ewok tactical network <laughs> you get to dash any supporting character so the trapper or the hunters so you get to dash them yeah and then you can choose do I want to give
0: them a hunker do i want to remove a condition or do i want to make a five dice attack that's it, that's nice man it's nice because once again shroud points all about swinging two points at a time if you can and in theory, you could swing a point over here with this Ewok tactical network and the Logre can go to another point, right? And that's like at its most basic interaction. I concur. It's, I very, like it. it's very powerful. And we'll talk about this a little
1: bit more towards summarizing Logre, but man, what a great force multiplier
0: already. Also keep in mind if you're playing Chirpa and you got mobilized the village where all Ewoks are getting one more additional dice, like these little tactical network type of attacks get buffed up as well
1: absolutely absolutely and we're only two abilities in and we're like wow we love low you know
0: yeah absolutely
1: going to the next active ability stealthy approach is one force each character in this
0: unit may dash then this unit may gain hunker or immediately make a focus action it's the ewok bread and butter it's their version of defensive maneuver and it's awesome it's better it's better and they all have it next we move on to the innate ability protective wards while this
1: unit is not wounded characters in other allied ewok units within range four Add
0: one die to their defense roll. I find this so fascinating. On Logre, the shaman, the priest, he's given everybody more defenses, and Chirp has given everybody more attack dice. And as long as they're both not wounded, you've got to protect them. They're the elders. Everybody's buffed. It's so good. It's so good. <laughs> yeah.
1: Now this does come with the fact that, of course, durability of two. We've mentioned in the previous episode, but if you're tuning in on this episode first. That Ewoks are diminutive creatures. I I read this funny meme the other day, or an article really, where it was talking about bears. And it's like, bears would actually take over the world if they weren't so sleepy. It was kind (laughs) of funny, because it triggered me in my mind immediately. Ewoks, right? Yep. And yeah, they're ferocious, diminutive creatures, and they'll take you out. But after a while, they might get tired, or their size might work against them, or blaster fire eventually wears down against sticks and stones and arrows, right? So. Oh, yeah. I think it's quite fascinating that this is the design, and so it does make it to where, yes, you must protect the village elders. It's very thematic in many ways, but also like the village elders themselves aren't designed to last very long no. because we see in games with supporting units and secondary units and even primaries like mall, where if opponent really wants to take them out and dice aren't a huge factor in terms of stopping them from doing that, they will go down. Yeah,
0: Focus Fire. It works on these two durability characters.
1: But the offset of that is, as they mentioned, and I say they, Atomic Mass Games mentioned in the preview, Ewoks are designed to be a quick two-struggle win. And you have to take risks, you have to play aggressively, but they're designed for you to play it that way. So it doesn't matter if Logre only has two durability if you're going to win in two struggles,
0: right? Absolutely. And even if he goes down, maybe the rest of the Ewoks can close it out, right? Because I find it so fascinating, amon you you brought up that lens, and it's kind of sparked something in my mind with these Ewok sets is typically in Shatterpoint, people focus on supports and secondaries when it comes to removal or, you know, turning them off by giving them their max stamina, right, to give them that token. Now you've got a question where you're like, should do I just go for the elders because they're giving everybody all these buffs? And do I ignore the supports for a minute? It's back and forth, and it's flipping the whole just remove supports quickly thing on its head a little bit. Because the elders are still up. Yeah, it's fascinating.
1: It it makes for more choice, and what I really like about Logar already is that he offers a lot of choice for you as the pilot, and then offers some interesting choices and questions to ask of your opponent as well, which is very cool. Absolutely. And then lastly, we have the identity secret ingredients. Each time an allied Ewok character wounds an enemy unit, roll an attack dice. On a roll of a crit or a strike result, refresh a force. On a roll of a failure or an expertise result. Each character in the attacking unit
0: may dash. So good. Once again, you're rolling a dice, see what happens. We saw this on Chirpa. But I love now that if you play low gray and Chirpa together, you get both sides of the wounding concept. When my guys get wounded, I roll a dice, something happens. When your guys get wounded, I roll a dice and something happens. And they're all good. They're all good effects, like Chirpa and low gray, both. Also, more dashes. But also, the refreshing of force is very cool because he only brings three. And you'll take that. For sure. And one thing
1: I want to point out is that Chief Chirpas only works when he is not wounded. Gray's works even when he is wounded. Good call out. Yeah, his his is still online. Now, it's interesting because we're big fans of Luminar on the show, Luminar Unduli. And she kind of has an identity that already plays on both sides of being wounded and wounding. So it's really nice to see that global effect over the course of two Ewok primaries. Let's talk about that first. Okay.
0: How do you feel about that? I love it. I love the global, I love Luminar's identity. So Ewoks having kind of a version of that, I think is great. I also like this dice rolling thing where you don't quite know. I think it's actually fun and scrappy, of the Ewoks, where they're fighting for their life too and seeing what happens, which is really cool. It's good design. I mean, if you think about it, they're spiritual people.
1: Yeah. And they put their faith in the nature and the ancestors and in the mysticism and the signs, right? Mm -hmm. So if that's how they're going to live their life and their society then it makes sense that it reflects in a very thematic way on the tabletop when it comes to how they play in Shatterpoint. That being said, yeah. fortunately, because the results are not predictable, yeah. you can't plan for them, which is what we talked about a little bit on the Chirp episode, which might be fine. Totally. Sometimes you're going to have those moments where, man, I really hope I get a crit or a strike so I can get that force back so I can do something else, and it's not going to happen. And sometimes you're like, you know what, I really want this dash, and instead you're going to get a force, and it's not going to happen. So there's two ways you can approach that. Either roll with the punches and see what happens and kind of Mm -hmm. play this casino-style game, if you will, to a certain extent. Or don't put yourself in situations where you're
0: relying on specific dice rolls, which is easier said than done. For sure. Absolutely for sure. No, it's super interesting. In no way do I think it's bad, the 50-50 nature of it, you know what I mean? So I do find interesting and a fun comparison. If to get yourself in this full Ewok list headspace, which we're trying to do today, If you're playing Chirpa and Logre together, yes, it's all contingent on dice rolls and stuff, but their identities are essentially like running Luminara and Ahsoka together. So you've played Luminara's with her identity and you've played Ahsoka because, you know, Chirpa is very Ahsoka-esque. He's moving in, he's doing that five dice attack, or he's moving in, he's recovering, right? Depending on what he rolled. And then Logre is giving this global, I don't know, it's pretty cool. (laughs) It's pretty cool that we got like a Lumi Ahsoka list, but it's all Ewoks. But then you add the Ewoks, which are separatist good stuff. And you've got a nice mix of game mechanics we've come to know and love. And now it's all being flipped on its head. I think that's very well stated. And I think that makes total
1: sense. I'm excited. I mean, when we look at things on Hello There, we try to look at them in a way in which the general consumer will digest them. But also, we've made it no secret that Jesse and I do love organized play. And we like being competitive. And my initial thought process when it comes to the Ewoks, just off low gray alone and the primaries, is that they have the potential to be competitive, truly. And I want to put that into practice because I've seen a lot of people say, oh, they seem like they're a lot of fun. And I'm leaning there too. I mean, they're going to be a ton of fun, which is important for competitive or non-competitive play. But the interesting thing is if they are played at a high level, can they take some quick dubs against things like a Vader or a Maul? or a mm. Django, right? Like these are yeah. things I'm very interested to experience. I agree. Because if they can, hey, that's great design from AMG, but also goes to show, like a lot of people have been doing recently, is that if you really put practice and energy into
0: one specific list, you can beat the so-called meta list as well, right? Well said, Amon. Well said. fact that the basis of them is so fun, and it is so dynamic, and it is so you have to be 100% locked in, kind of similar to separatists in that way. You can miss triggers. That's enough, right? And then if you can get practice on top of that and take some some major wins, man, what a great list, if that's the case, you know?
1: I agree. I'm quite fascinated to see how it all plays out. And I definitely think that Ewoks, for me, are going to be things that I take to my local game nights, because I'm going to have a ton of fun either way. Absolutely. Well, let's learn how low-grade fights, Amon. Absolutely. So going to his stance trees here, we're going to start with Wisdom of the Woods, Now, he has a range four attack with seven dice and six defense on range, six dice offensively on melee, five on defense. He also has defensive wards expertise, which is one, one block, two to three, two block, four plus, two block, and turning an opposing crit to a fail. Let's start there with those defensive stats and that defensive expertise.
0: I like it a lot. Two for two. I'll always take that, right? One for one. And that four... It's all good stuff. It's very similar to Chirpa's, right? But Chirpa had the fail earlier. He had that on his three results, right? I don't know. It looks like Ewok stats to me. i on what we've come to know. I want to give a quick shout out to Matt
1: Bronson from Bombad Tactics, also known as Zeus Juice on Discord. He's been doing a lot of math hammer or math point, if you will, or shatter math. And yeah. it's really helped me predict what I'm trying to do when it comes to my dice rolls. And so I think on average, when you're rolling, I think it was five to six dice. You can only hope for 1.5 expertise. And that really helps frame how you evaluate a character, but also what they can do in a potential moment. Obviously, sometimes you hope for those high rolls and things like that. But the fact that we're at 1.5 on average, on five defense dice, I think is pretty decent because at the worst case scenario, it's like a 50-50 between one block or two block, right? Because you're at 1.5, yeah. which is awesome. Hey, I'm not mad about that.
0: No. And this is his ranged setting, too. So, I mean, presumably he might be in some cover or have some hunkers and stuff. So, you know, you might think of it th- through that lens. I say that because his next expertise is a little bit different. And we always try to look at characters like, do they have a better ranged and melee side? And I think this is his range side, Mon.
1: Yeah, correct. It's very interesting. Even though they use bow and arrows, his... Tree looks like a crossbow. Very true. Right? (laughs) Very true. So before we get into the tree itself, let's talk about the melee expertise using his staff. One to three, a strike and a damage. Four, a
0: crit strike and damage. Five plus, a crit strike and two damage. Five plus, first of all, is just unique. We don't see that a lot. This is fine. It's a lot of auto damage. It's not great. It kind of reminds me of Bausch a little bit, but you'll take the auto damage. Yeah, I mean... As as per the math that Matt shared,
1: you're just going to get probably a strike and a damage almost every time. And that's really nice when you get one expertise. And it feels the rest bad when you nice get three.
0: Yeah, yeah, it feels real bad when you get three.
1: But as you mentioned, this is the range size, right? So let's look at the sling here. This is where we get some sort of crit bow or something. A crit sling. Like, <laughs> one dice result results in a crit, two to three, a crit and a strike, four plus two crits and a strike. Respectable. Good stuff. I'm not mad at it. No. At worst case scenario, in theory, you're just going to get the one ranged expertise, which is awesome because that's a crit. And if your opponent can't modify your crit, what does that mean? Well, if we look at his tree, the first step on his tree is a shove and a damage. These Ewoks and these shoves, it's getting a little out of hand. It might, but I think it's what <laughs> makes them really interesting it because does. It's the way that this expertise is designed is low gray is going to get that shove almost all the time. I mean, Obviously, scenarios where it just doesn't work out, but I'm thinking if I'm just throwing a random number out there in terms of the percentage, right? like eighty five percent plus it,
0: that might be right, yeah, yeah, it, you can probably count on it the one shove. I like it, And what do we love to see in this sh- this game? a damage and a shove and a tile, and we got it right up the game first one, love it, and we get another one shortly thereafter. So
1: this next step on the tree is a strain and a damage, and then we get another shove and a damage,
0: good stuff. I like it.
1: From there, you have three paths you can take. You can either do a reposition and a damage, two damage, or two recover. Again, I love this choice. Yes. Regardless of which one you pick, if you are able to get to the end of the tree, you will then get a free active ability. Now again, if we look at the active abilities that
0: Logre has, that's either Elder's Command or Stealthy Approach. Yeah. Elder's Command is nuts. So getting it for free, good stuff. I also like, you know, from a balance standpoint maybe i don't know but five spots in seems fair for that Kalani and Kraken have it four spots in so the fact that he's getting one more spot down the line that kind of makes sense in the lore but also you'll take it and i I also mentioned this too because like we mentioned in our Kalani and Kraken episodes i think and we've played more of them since then and i can attest to this play pattern if you intend to attack with Kalani or Kraken in your turn always do it before you do the tactical network if you have a plan of a tactical network as in if you have a model nearby to do it and low-grade is going to be no different because why wouldn't you see what you get before you decide to pay? Because you can always pay later. Great reminder, Jesse. Great reminder.
1: Now, going off that math I mentioned in the previous episode, I was talking about roughly three results on offense. Yeah. Looking at Zeus Juice's math, he's actually closer to a 2.5. So still okay. in that range because a 2.5 rounds up to a 3, but if we're taking the worst-case scenario and we're lowering that down to 2, what you can often rely on consistently is two damage a shove
0: and a strain, which is not bad. No, it's not bad. Well, it's good. I mean, keep in mind this guy is a support piece, right? So the fact that he's even doing this stuff on top of all the support on his card, I think, is really is really nice. Absolutely. Now, if we move over to his second stance,
1: Omen of Strength, this mm. will be the more melee oriented side here. Still have a range four attack, still have a melee attack, but the dice are essentially flipped on offense from melee. It's seven dice and it's six on defense. For range, it's six dice on offense, five on defense. Yeah, it's very similar to what happened with Chirpa. Defensive wards is almost the same as well on this side with one being a block. However, the two to three section gains an additional benefit. After the two block, you can turn a crit to a strike, whereas Wisdom of the Woods did not offer that.
0: And then the four plus is the exact same with two blocks turning a crit to a fail. Yeah, he's just better defensively here. And it makes sense because this is his deep in combat form, right? Especially presumably melee.
1: Yeah. Now, if we go to his range expertise sling, one to two, one strike, three, a crit and a strike, four plus a crit and
0: two strikes. Yeah. I mean, it's, I guess this is his worst representation of expertise. It looks very similar to the staff on the previous side, right? But you're losing the auto damage. So, ideally, you don't want to be shooting in this side, right? It's one less dice, too, on attack. Absolutely.
1: Now, if we go over to the staff expertise for melee one to three, a crit and a damage.
0: Four, two crits and a damage. Five plus, two crits a strike and a damage. Yeah, this is... Now we're getting into some good stuff, especially at that one. A crit on one and melee. Come on, you know. With all Again, it's diminishing returns, which seems to be the Ewok theme, right? I mean, look at Poplu. We we did him recently. <laughs> this is very diminishing wilding. return. He He's real lucky up front. Real unlucky the longer he stays in the casino.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of casino, Paplu is the type of dude who will win the first hand. Yeah. Like, immensely. But then he's the ideal candidate for the casino, because he'll just, just lose and there. lose and lose. He and needs
0: to walk away, Paplu. Yeah, away. you got
1: to do one and done. Now, we go to Omen of Strength, Damage Tree. We're going to start with two damage. From there, you have a choice. You can either go pin in a damage or a strain in a damage. From there, you go up to two damage, and then you further have a choice. There's a fork in the road. If you go to the top, you can get an exposed and a damage, or if you go downwards, you can do a disarm and a damage, and then this culminates on the fifth step at another active ability for either Eldris Command or Stealthy Approach. No
0: shoves on this tree. Yeah, that worries me a bit. He also can do up to seven damage on this tree if you have the staff expertise online, which you probably will with that one expertise. But maybe this is just a side I'm on to get some kills, right? Because... Keep in mind, if he does go up, like you said, and give the exposed to the target, then he can elders command somebody nearby, maybe to finish off the target or something. Yeah, it's a great point. But it's a lot of damage, and it's conditions too, which is good. And I don't know, another Ewok pin. Let's not forget that, because the Ewoks do put out a lot of pins, so that might be another auto damage on top of that. But I don't know. I'm worried about the no shoves.
1: I am too, and that's the reason why I'm inclined at the moment to keep him
0: in wisdom of the woods at all times, just because that shove is real nasty. Nice. I agree. I agree, but I do like this one. He's like in combat. He wants to get a little bit more defensive because expertise is better. He wants to get a little bit more defense dice in melee, and then maybe finish off some teed up kills. Makes sense. He, tactics. Oh man, good stuff. Well, that's low gray. Let's jump right into Wicket, the hero of our Ewok story the glue that holds Leia to the tribe. Wicket Work was a male Ewok. He was younger than the rest of the group. We talked about this. He grows up to be a great leader, which is great, and he grows up to be a father. He eventually has a son named Pomet, which is awesome. And Wicket is the first Ewok we meet in the story as the viewer and Leia meet. Leia and Wicket obviously work together to take out the scout troopers. Wicket, similar to Poplu, he's also in their tribe on his journey to become a warrior, a full-fledged warrior. We talked about this last episode, but they kind of have a rite of passage for the young ones. They go out on hunts. They go out on like training. They watch elders do stuff. They learn all this stuff. Wicket is interesting because in a way, if you think about Wicket, he probably did grow up to become one of the best Ewoks of all time because he was so young, the battle of Endor, and so important in the battle for a myriad of reasons. First, being getting the Rebel Strike team integrated into the Bright Tree Village. Second, being fighting the whole battle, right, and surviving. So he's seen a lot of stuff. And it was all, this alliance was all formed because of his kindness to Leia and him kind of opening up to her, right, and her kind of opening up to him. Wicket, of course, in Legends had tons of story, but in canon, it's been reduced. I think a fun story after the Battle of Endor from Wicket, of course, Wicket had a blast at the celebration. Him and R2 were dancing and having a good old time. Him and R2 become buddies, which is also a fun side story. And Wicket, before Leia, Han, Luke, and the strike team fully left Endor, and were going to start all this New Republic stuff, Wicket gave Leia an acorn from the Endor forest from one of the trees. And Luke, being the Jedi Master he's now become and started to train Leia, Added the sapling as part of her meditation exercises, not only taking care of it, but watching it grow because the indoor trees grow very slow. And what's fun with that, too, is not only did this sapling become integrated into Leia's Jedi training and stuff, but it also was just a constant reminder of her relationship with the Bright Tree Village and Wicket. And she was always thinking about Wicket, and what he did. And jumping all the way to the future, we do see Wicket again at the end of Rise of Skywalker, which I absolutely love, with his son, Pomet. And they're on Endor and they're seeing the First Order Star Destroyer fleet crashing above them. Like as in the First Order was occupying Endor as well. You know, story as old as time. Apparently, the First Order was trying to be the Empire again. And it's him and his son, once again, probably saying yub dub, because the galaxy's been restored to freedom again. And Wicket lived a long life. And that's what kind of what we know with his story. Of course, Wicket, I think, has become really famous too, being played by the now super famous actor Warwick Davis. Warwick was so young when he played Wicket. So it's like he had a relationship with Carrie because he was just a little kid on set playing Wicket, which I think brought a lot to the performance. Warwick Davis ended up becoming like the legend he is and, and acting and he got jobs like Willow. I mentioned in past episodes, he is one of the main hosts of Star Wars Celebration every year. I mean... He's been in every Star Wars film since Return of the Jedi in some in some capacity as like a side character or, you know, he's at the pod race with Watto's group. He's in Solo, you know, so it's just like this full circle thing. Of I just think it's super cool that he got to play Wicket at such a young age and that he's continued to be part of the Star Wars family since. Not only is one of the figureheads to us, he's a figurehead in presenting Star Wars to the world, but also he's continued to show up in the films. Yeah, I think he voiced Rook as well. Yes, he did voice Rook, yeah, which was a nice like Easter egg because Rook was so big in legends, right? And then bringing him back to Canon and him being playing by Warwick was amazing. Also Wicket Warwick, like there's a connection to the name as well. They big based Wicket and like his last name around Warwick's name. And Guy rules, Guy's a legend, like a lot of these Star Wars people. And yeah, that's Wicket. I think he's kind of the spark that ignites the fire of the rebels and the ewoks working together. Absolutely. I mean his relationship with Leia is pretty cool. Yeah, and it's cool that it was based off of a real life relationship because those are long days on set for a small child and to have a mom figure on set when your mom is gone because his mom would drop him off. You know what I mean? They talk about it a lot in a lot of the stars behind the scenes books and just work talks about it a lot. Just how like Carrie was like a mom to him, which was amazing. That's really sweet.
1: Well, let's talk about Wicked in the game. So Wicket is a secondary unit. He costs four points durability of two and a stamina of nine with the tags endor ewok and warrior it's pretty solid he's the same durability and stamina as primaries i'm glad you mentioned that i was like the nine stands out a little bit I'm on. yeah i mean he's just as fragile as low
0: which is a tough and wise old ewok but he's old hey man he got more stamina than bo katan you got my attention true
1: so wicked intrepid warrior has a tactics ability called Lead the Charge. At the start of this unit's activation, choose an enemy character in line of sight and an allied Ewok supporting unit within range three. Each character in this unit and each character in the chosen allied unit may dash towards the chosen enemy character. This
0: is interesting. Super
1: interesting. I really like it, actually, because especially if you get wicked early game, if you both pick an enemy character, that's all the way in the back. That range gets really wide when, it go, when you are dictating what it's towards, right? Because you yeah. bend the tool. So you can actually get an additional dash just for free. Now, in yeah. these situations, if you really need to get towards a specific objective, it is a little bit more dependent on the positioning of the enemy. But ultimately, barring terrain and
0: elevation, you should be good. Well, yeah, and it's just wicked, and an allied Ewok both get to dash. Yeah, it's great. Let's also not forget how impactful abilities are like this in Struggle 2 and 3. i on, right? When you need like a two-body swing on a point or something, you know?
1: Yeah. You mentioned something earlier about Point is often how can I get two points in my turn. Yeah. Ewoks have a lot
0: of ways to do that. There's one more way to do it.
1: Now, Wicked has two active abilities. The first one is called Hunting Horn. This costs a force. Action. Each enemy unit within range three that is not engaged gains pin. Each enemy unit within range three that is engaged
0: gets exposed. He's blowing that horn like in the movie. Now, I do love that this is an action that, once again, cool new design space we're in. I'm Amon that started with the Stormtroopers of seeing actual actions on abilities that cost force, right? Yeah, it's
1: pretty cool. And it's a very interesting action because you mentioned earlier a lot of pins, right? This can be dealing damage to finish off an opponent, because if they're already pinned, they just take a damage. Yes. But what I really like is if you're in a really good spot with Wicket, maybe you dashed off Lead the Charge, you're in range of a couple pesky opponents, you Hunting Horn, they get engaged, and then you make an attack into them, and that could help finish them off or further soften them up for other abilities that low and Chief Chirpa allow
0: Ewoks to continue to dash, make extra out-of-activation attacks. It's pretty cool. It is super cool, and it has really cool synergy with the melee Ewoks being stuck in melee, and they're going to stab you good, and the ranged Ewoks that already give out pinned on their tree right out the gate or can give out pinned for Coordinated Fire, you're just laying down pins for that as well. There's layers and layers of synergy and auto damage, right, on top of that, so... Wicket's good with the Horn. Be scared of it. Indeed. Lastly, we have Stealthy Approach, which is... Something we've
1: talked about quite a bit, but it does cost a force. Each character in this unit may dash, then this unit may gain hunker or immediately make a focus action. Super cool actually, quick interaction. You can lead the charge, get a dash. Then you can stealthy approach, get a second dash. Then you can hunting horn as your first action and then you have a focused wicket slapping into an exposed character who just also moved quite a bit across the board. It's a pretty cool interaction. It's a little expensive, but You can refresh force, right? It's not reliable, but it can happen.
0: I like it. No, I like it a lot. I think this is a great, simple card on the front, and I think it just works with everything in the Ewoks list, but I think we got to understand Wicket better, Amon, by going to see what he can do when he fights. Wicket's
1: stance card is called Wary Vigilance. Range four, range attack, five dice on offense, five on defense a melee attack with seven dice on offense and six dice on defense with a defensive expertise called Quick Wits. One to two is a block and turning a crit to a strike. Three plus two blocks turning an opposing crit to a strike.
0: Yeah, this is nice. This is respectable. The seven is shocking and good (laughs) to me. Seven melee. And I think this expertise, you'll take it, right? The one is the joy when you get the one. I mean, that's a big deal, but can't count on that, right? You might get two or three.
1: What's interesting is when we are evaluating these Ewok characters, it really depends also on the best case scenario. So if Logre and Chief Chirpa are within range I know. of Wicket, then you're at 6 and 7 ranged in melee defense, and you're 6 and 8 on ranged in melee it's offense. It's a lot. Yeah, That's like Jedi-Sith level tiers of damage. And
0: let's not forget, every Ewok has easy access to focus. Correct. So, Wicket could be Throwing nine dice, yeah. Making some of the Jedi look weak. (laughs) Sorry, Lumi.
1: Yeah, I've been thinking about this a lot, and I'll bring this up as a small side tangent, but I've been really thinking about full ewoks with Low Gray and Vader. Yeah, we covered that on the show. Vader one? Vader two.
0: Yeah, I'm talking Vader one. I gotcha. So you're just you're all gas, no brakes. All gas, no brakes, baby. Yeah. I think both Vaders are excellent with Low Gray, right? And it's scary. It's scary. I'm out here trapping with Vader. Okay,
1: let's go to these melee expertise here. Spear, one to two, two strikes, three,
0: crit and a strike, four plus, two crits and a strike. I like it. Yeah, one for two is always great. And then the three is probably we're going to hit. I don't think you're going to hit the four that often, right, Amon? We're not counting on that. Even with eight dice, I think you should always plan for three
1: at most. Yeah, this is good. Yeah, crit and a strike, not bad. The sling, which is his ranged expertise, one to two a strike and a damage, three plus a crit and a damage, so. Once
0: again, more damage. Yeah, not super exciting, but the damage stacks up. Yeah, this all makes sense in the lore. Wicked is a melee guy. He throws a sling, but that's not what he's about. Yeah.
1: Now, this is where we get some really cool stuff here, because this is another Ewok again that starts his tree off with a damage and a shove. You love to see it. Keeps showing up. You love to see it. So when you start with a damage and a shove, you have two options. You can either go up to a strain and a damage, or you can go down to a disarm and a damage. From there, you have a couple options. Both paths lead to the middle where you can gain just a shove. However, both paths can also continue along their line. So if we do the top line in its entirety, we start with a shove and a damage, go to a strain and a damage, then we go two damage and then expose and a damage. So that's potentially eight damage with an expertise.
0: Some of the highest damage of any of the Ewoks.
1: Right. And it's not bad. Eight damage is really good on a tree. But yeah, again, remember that you're probably not going to get that few and far between. If we take the full bottom path, you start with that shove into damage again, and you go down, disarm damage, two damage, a dash, and then a pin into damage.
0: Okay. I like that path too. Yeah, it's
1: not bad at all. Gives you a little bit of mobility, some condition stacking. It's nice. The interesting part here is, because of that extra shove in the third step, that both the strain and the damage and the pin into damage can move towards, from there, what's essentially allowing you to do is you can go to a bottom tree or a top tree from that point because there's their intersecting path. But worst case scenario, if you want to do the top tree but you don't need that two damage, you can go shove, damage, strain, damage, shove, and then finish it off with two damage, expose, and a damage, so on and so forth. Or you could follow that same path and then after the strain and damage and a shove, you can actually just go down towards the dash and then a pin and a damage as well. So there's just a lot of options and that's what's happening with Ewoks and I know that sounded like a mouthful, but if you were able to keep up, essentially Wicked can do a lot of flexible things depending on the amount of successes you're getting. I imagine you're more
0: often than not going to just go for two shoves, right? Yeah. Two shoves, two damage, either strain or disarm, right? Getting that three spots in. Mm -hmm. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. I also like that some of the Ewoks have disarm because presumably they're in melee shoving people off of stuff and they're disarming their opponent, and so the clapback's not as intense. Right. Which is what they need. <laughs> which is what they need, because their defenses and health are low. I like Wicked a lot, man. He's not as tricky as Poplu, right? But once again, Poplu has the shove on his first tile as well. We got a lot of representation of shoves just right out the gate. I think often in Shatterpoint, we focus
1: a lot on primaries, but it's really stellar secondaries that yeah. can help make or break a list and really feel impactful. And Wicked feels like, as you mentioned, glue, right? You said that as earlier regarding something about Wicked, maybe the relationship between the Rebel Alliance and Leia, but he's also the glue in the Ewok list and the fact that he's someone you can rely on.
0: He's always going to do a lot. You're going to get your points worth. Absolutely. Well said. Yeah, he's just a very solid all-rounder, right? And nothing can go wrong with that in your list. All right, let's jump into a different secondary because once again, these episodes have more characters. We're going to talk about C-3PO. And R2-D2, that's all they're named. This, they're not like the Endor group or something, but that's kind of what they're shown in lore. And so that's what we'll talk about today because we've talked about R2 already. We've talked about 3 P on passing, and we're going to cover them more in the future, so we're not going to get super deep in their lore. But of course, 3 P and R2 are from the mythic view of Star Wars. They are our narrators. They are our storytellers. They are our POV characters. That was George's initial idea for them, course being droids they can live forever and of course being r2 and 3po very special droids with unique things about them and the reason why they're so unique is because they've been wiped very little or in r2's case wiped never which i think is very notable because in the star wars universe droids are frequently wiped more like you would do if you optimize your drive or disk defrag to keep them most efficient and as non-quirk bug ridden as possible but through the nature of Luke and his love for these droids, them not being wiped is what makes them who they are. 3PO, of course, was a 3PO protocol droid. He was designed to interact with organics and was designed for etiquette protocol translations. And R2 was an astromech droid. And uh, we see astromechs all over the place. Astromechs are the all-arounder droids for repairs, mechanic work, piloting, the list goes on on, right? They've got all the tools. The point in time we're talking about today with 3PO and R2, of course, is the Bright Tree Village, 3PO and R2. So it's 3PO, the golden one, and R2 kind of helping the rebel base. So I think that's where we're going to stop with the war today, Amon, because we've we've talked with R2 and 3PO a lot, and we're going to talk about more of them in the future. But they are some of the most important pieces of Star Wars, right? They're with us, the audience, through almost all the films.
1: Yeah, correct. And the reason that these characters have intersected with one another especially if you've seen Return of the Jedi, is the fact that 3PO and R2 accompany the main heroes on the journey to Endor. They get captured, and as Jesse shared at the beginning of the episode, the Ewoks, maybe aside from Low Grey, view 3PO as this divine influence, right? And then, of course, wherever 3PO goes, R2 is surely not far away. So they hang out, have a very bickering sibling relationship. But you're right, Jesse. They're very mythic characters in the sense they're instantly recognizable. And a lot of modern day Star Wars robots and droids certainly take influence from them as well in trying to create strong personalities like K-2SO, for example, one of my favorite droids.
0: One of the great droids. Yeah, it all starts with the, the basis of Anthony Daniels playing 3PO and just bring what he brought to that performance and kind of showing what droids can be like in Star Wars. And 3PO is so important to the Star Wars story because he's the narrator to us. R2 can't speak our language, R2 is like the hero of stars in a lot of ways. 3PO's through so many generations of the Skywalker family and other things, and he's telling the story. He's at these battles. He's been Padme's personal droid all the way to Leia's personal droid at the end of her life. There's huge spans of time. And then we've got R2, who went from being a Naboo maintenance droid on the Queen's ship that had a very heroic moment that kind of set him on a different path, all the way to luke's constant companion because r2 and 3po do separate a lot in the future and a lot of it's because 3po is with the new republic and leia starting the new government r2 is with luke on these jedi missions and that's in legends and canon both r2 is that so when i always think of luke i always think of luke and r2 together and r2's seen a lot he's done a lot and what's crazy is r2's never been wiped like i said so r2 has all these memories of the clone wars and anakin And Luke does eventually access that information later, which is very powerful and very cool to me. That's deep in R2's core. But yeah, they are Star Wars, right? They're the first characters that guide us through the story and New Hope. And I don't think they'll ever go away and they'll continue to be characters that guide us through the future Star Wars stories, probably. Agreed. Well, let's talk about them in Star Wars Shatterpoint and what they bring to this Ewok group. Because our first R2 was Undercover, Bar 2D2. Our second R2 is Ewok R2. Kind of a different take in a miniatures game.
1: Yeah, and I, and I imagine we'll get many iterations of R2 over the life cycle of this game, but looking at C3PO and R2D2, secondary unit, four-point cost, with the tags Droid and Rebel
0: Alliance, they've got a stamina of eight and a durability of two. Low, but once again, they're not made for war, and they're fitting this Ewok theme, I guess, of of two durability.
1: Yeah, very interesting. So
0: let's start with
1: their first ability, which is an active ability called Brilliant Oration. Now again, they don't have the Ewok tag, right? They have a Rebel Alliance tag. So it's presumably that when you play this unit, you're pairing them opposite of Leia as the other primary in the other unit, which allows them to gain access to the Ewok tag. Brilliant Oration costs a force. Choose an allied Ewok supporting character within four. The chosen character may gain hunker to recover or make a five dice attack.
0: This is great. Once again, another out of activation attack. But I mean, yeah, I the mean, recovers are nice too. Ewoks need that. Again, it's it's just this options, right? Like low grade kind of offers is,
1: do you need a hunker in the moment? Yes. No. Okay. No. Can I use it to recover twice? Maybe take some conditions off or heal some allies or myself? No. Okay. I'll just make a five <laughs> dice attack.
0: Great. There's this is just 3PO telling the story of the rebel alliance taking down the empire again, right? And the Ewoks are getting excited and yeah, listening to him. Yeah, they either fortify themselves,
1: steal themselves, or get aggressive, which I like. It's good. It is good. Now, there is a reactive ability as well called R2. I'm not sure that's such a good idea. When an allied Ewok unit or an allied Rebel Alliance unit begins its activation within range 5, this unit may use this ability. The activating unit may remove any number of conditions from itself. Then that unit suffers damage for each condition it removed after the first. This is cool. It's sick because what this is saying is if anyone activates within range five of this unit, C3PO and R2D2, they can at the very least remove one condition from themselves for free. Yes. If they want to remove a secondary or third condition, then they have to take damage
0: for each of those conditions they remove. But the first one is always free, which is sick. Absolutely. And what's also super cool about this is R2's utility. I mean, quite literally being the utility droid he is, but it's also like, this Directly ties to our first iteration of R2, Amon, where Lando and R2 are giving this recover, not this good, but a version of this to their allies around them. It's just that extended even further. This is that down more that path, even more support. You could really take everything off if you want to. Yeah, it's
1: pretty nice. And obviously, we've talked about the Ewoks having lower stamina in general. So I think that's the natural balance for this. It's interesting especially because, yes, maybe this could combo really well with a pure Rebel Alliance list in the future, but then you're taking away, really, the rest of the card here because almost everything else references Ewoks directly. Let's figure out what that is, yeah. Yeah. The next one is an innate ability called Divine Influence. While this unit's active stance is against my programming, allied Ewok scouts within range four have scale. When this unit's active stance is angry trilling, Allied Ewok Warrior units within range 4 have Steadfast.
0: Whoa. Okay. So, a lot going on here, but this is why you're playing this piece, right? Right.
1: So earlier I mentioned that if elevation is a hindrance, then the dashes may not be as efficient. And that's still the the, the case, but maybe when you're advancing with one of your Ewok Scout units, like Paplu, they can instead
0: climb. Absolutely. Absolutely. And steadfast for Ewoks Pretty on nice. the other side of this. That's, that's great because presumably you're already getting on points and shoving people off. So giving yourself staying power on those points. Really powerful. And I think we're already considering Maman, that you could play this without Leia. Of course. You, you could just play R2 and 3PO in lieu of maybe Wicked or Poplu and just so, have a super support. Yeah. Now,
1: if we're going to have to pick between the two, I think I'm picking Wicket to stay. Sure. I think Wicked is very good. Just solid. blue is nice, but I think Wicked is the superior choice. But again, you're relying more on that force augmentation rather than perhaps a more aggressive combat-oriented secondary. Yep. Between Chirpa, Grey and potentially 3PO and R2 in this iteration, it's a lot of units to protect.
0: Yeah, Maybe a
1: lot of units who aren't doing as much as you want them to do. But at the same time, also, what's really cool about Define Influence is it doesn't care if they're wounded or not. And neither does the reactive ability. The last ability on their card is Goodness Gracious Me, which is an innate ability. While one or more allied Ewok units that are not wounded are within range 3, characters in this unit cannot be
0: targeted by ranged attacks. Super cool. So, once again, our first R2, we're bringing some of that, but a different flavor. That was Landown R2. Where they're at in the deck gives them this, right? This is where the Ewoks were the protectors of the golden one, right? So... That is very cool. Yeah.
1: I also think this kind of alludes to the fact that if you watch Star Wars, any movie, R2 and C-3PO are always kind of bumbling about. Well, mostly 3PO. R2's kind of doing his own thing. And no one ever shoots at him because they're like, he's not an enemy combatant. He's not a priority target. I'm going to kill everything that's trying to kill me. And then I'll take care of the passive droid later. Right. So I think part of it is that Ewok protection, but it's also no one's going to shoot at him. There's no point at shooting at an astromech droid. And a protocol droid. And a protocol droid.
0: Yeah, especially the protocol droid where it's literally against his programming to fight, to kill, to lie. He can't do any of this stuff, right? We've no. talked about this in our in our first episode uh, with the loot box, right? We talked about 3PO there. So, yeah, it's very cool. Well,
1: I think that's a great segue to talk about the stances. And we'll start with a very unique design here in that each stance is a representation of which droid is taking the lead. I love and that. Jesse just mentioned programming. Well... 3PO's side is called Against My Programming. Yeah, he's. Like, I don't want to fight. What are we doing here? <laughs> exactly. So no ranged attacks. He does have a ranged defense of 5 and a melee defense of 5 with a melee attack of 5 as well. Now his first expertise is called Oblivious. It's defensive. 1-2, to two, a block. 3, block and a recover. 4 plus 2, block a recover, turning a crit to a fail. Yeah, he doesn't want to get shot at. He doesn't want to get... Yeah, nothing. Nothing. Not attacked. It's not a lot, but one block is fine. Offensively, he's got bash. One expertise, a strike, two to three, a strike and a recover, four plus, a crit, and a recover.
0: I like the recovers. That's cool. Yeah. He's a support piece.
1: That's very good. Good. He's not trying to do much, and, and that kind of explains his damage tree as well, which is lacking a lot of damage. You start at a recover, and then you go to two recover, then you go to an active ability, then you go to a disarm, and then finally, against all of his Programming and against all odds on dice, he slaps. He slaps you for two damage. Yep. And he
0: probably says sorry while he does it. Absolutely. Now, what is very cool here is the brilliant oration, only being three spot Cinnamon. So that's our closest down the tree tactical network we've gotten yet in the game. So, yeah. Now, I think it's very hard for 3PO to do because he's not rolling good dice with good expertise. So it being the third spot, probably fair. Yeah, I agree. Now, if we
1: switch over to angry trilling, we have. No ranged attack again with a ranged defense of five, six on melee. R2 isn't afraid to get his parts dirty and five on defense. Yeah. Looking more normal. Yeah. Obstinance is his defensive expertise one to two, a block, three, a block and a dash, four plus two block, turning a crit to a fail and a dash.
0: I like it. This is R2's determination. He's just going to come back, right? You don't stop him. Yeah,
1: it's the exact same as 3PO side, except instead of Recovers, you get dashes.
0: Yep. I like it.
1: I do too. Now, looking at Bash, it's also the exact same as 3PO side, but instead of Recovers, you're dealing damage. So one, a strike, two to three, a strike and a damage, four plus a crit and a damage. Okay. These guys are not made for
0: combat. That's okay.
1: Yeah. They're not. At their damage tree, you start with the shove. Then you go to a shove and a damage. Then you go to two damage. Then you go to a strain, and then you go to two damage. So yes, while you can potentially do with the right number of expertise, six damage. I think what's really interesting about this side is you get two shoves in the first two steps with the damage. And that's really all you're looking for in most point boxes. I'm pretty excited to see all these shoves. And what's really interesting, Jesse, is you're going to probably stay on angry trilling for most of the time. You're going to dash as much as you can And then if you're at a point where you're taking damage or you're in a situation where you've been conditioned, then you swap to against my programming and then you just heal yourself. So I find that to be very fascinating. I think this is a very interesting piece in terms of the way that you're going to position them and they have this inbuilt healing generation as well, which I, I think is really cool.
0: Yeah. And really notable. We talked about it on our news reveal episode, but a secondary having two stances, very cool, different. Two stances that are this different as well, I think is very cool. Ask a lot of questions of you. I second what you say. The the double shove on R2 is great, and I think it guarantees that these guys get played. I think if R2 didn't have the shoves from pulling out a shock prod and shoving people away with his his bolt arm, maybe they wouldn't get played because they'd just be full support, but it's cool that they're full support. And then when you're in R2's form, you still got scoring power. I think it's very neat. Yeah. I like this space. I want this to be explored even more. Kalani and Kraken are really powerful support pieces, but at the end of the day, they can still shoot you really good, right? <laughs> so to see a full support piece like this, I think it's a cool space to explore. And I really like, as you mentioned, they each stance just has a
1: picture of one of the Yes characters. So it's 3PO taking the lead and then R2 taking the lead. And I think they can do that more. Uh, and I look forward to seeing that when they have multiple unique characters on the same base i agree completely this is really cool already last but not least let's move on to the ewok
0: trappers absolutely this can be short and sweet, like it was last time not a lot to say outside of our who the ewoks are discussions from these two episodes now but the trappers are the guys they go out and catch the food right they're the ones that catch luke Khan, chewy and the droids in the net on the ground they're setting the log traps they're melee guys, right? They're doing their job. The tribe can't function without them. And I also mentioned last episode about how the trappers are the people who have set up these traps over the years to defend the the village from the great creatures of Endor, right? And also through the hunting parties as well. Simple lore. With these Ewok trappers, Amon, we get this new mechanic, Ewok traps, and a new rule in Star of Shatterpoint.
1: Absolutely. So, before we get into that rule, just very quickly, the Ewok Trappers are four points. Their supporting unit, seven, stamina, two durability, with the tags Endor, Ewok, and Scout. The first active ability is Stealthy Approach, which we've talked about ad nauseum. Is a force. Each character in this unit may dash, and this unit may gain hunker or immediately make a focus action. That is the classic Ewok ability. But the more interesting ability is the second ability, which is an innate ability called Battle Tactics, called Primitive Artifice. When you create your starting order deck, you may include up to one Primitive Artifice Battle Tactics card. When you draw a Battle Tactics card, resolve the effects of that card, then draw another order card and continue your turn as normal. So, what is a Battle Tactics card? Good question. The most recent update to the rulebooks included Appendix D, and Appendix D states Battle Tactics cards. Some units add Battle Tactics cards to a player's order deck battle tactics cards are special order cards that are not unit order cards. When a battle tactics card is revealed, the player that drew the card resolves the text on the card, then draws another card from their order deck and continues their turn as normal. This can result in two battle tactics cards being resolved back to back. A player may only include one unit's battle tactics cards in their order deck. If two or more units would add battle tactics cards to a player's order deck, they must choose only one unit's Battle Tactics cards to include. When a player refreshes their order deck, if the unit that provides Battle Tactics cards is not defeated, which means they're not on the table, all their chosen Battle Tactics cards are included when shuffling the deck. When a unit that provides Battle Tactics cards is defeated, if one or more of your chosen Battle Tactics cards are outside of the order deck, remove them from the game. Otherwise, when a Battle Tactics card provided by a defeated unit is revealed from the order
0: deck, remove it from the game and reveal the next card instead. Okay. All makes a lot of sense, really intuitive. You get an eighth card and it gets shuffled in and cool stuff happens when it's drawn. Now, the interesting thing that I want to point out is that if you in the future have
1: two units that provide battle tactics cards and cards can be plural. So in this specific example we're talking about today, the Ewoks are bringing one card. But if there is hypothetically a character in the future that brings two or three cards in theory, then you can still keep all of those in. It's just one set of Battle Tactics cards. So if you're an example where you have to pick between the trappers and an imaginary future release, hypothetically, then you have to pick between the two. Well said. Yeah, you got to make a choice. Very clear and clear cut. Let's talk about Primitive Artifice Ewok traps. So this is a battle tactic. Choose an active objective and roll an attack dice. If you roll a crit, each enemy unit that is contesting the chosen objective gains pin. Then push each enemy character that is contesting the chosen objective, range two away from that objective, each pushed character suffers two damage. Let's just talk about that one very quickly. Obviously, the least likelihood chance of rolling a crit, and it is also the strongest. What are your thoughts
0: on this particular result? Amazing. You get to choose the order. Keep that in mind. So you could always move models out that might be blocking others first, and then move other ones away. I think what makes it so powerful, Amon, is the, the fact that you're moving everyone off, and then you're getting a pinned, and then you're getting to go with a character that could potentially go swing that point, right? So there's a lot of layers to it. Also, pinned. Come on. The damage is great. The push and the pinned is what's making this sing to me. It's very nice. And if
1: they're already pinned, then it's just push and three damage. There it is. You just got log trapped. Straight up. Now, if you roll a strike, it changes a little bit. Each enemy character
0: that is contesting the chosen objective suffers two damage. So we had the souped-up version through the crit, and now we're getting a different version. The lesser version, I guess.
1: Yeah. If you roll an expertise, they get a pin and two damage. So that's the second best one, in my opinion. Certainly. Certainly. Yeah. Not even my opinion, just factually. It just is. Yeah. Yeah. And then a fail, of course, is they just get a pin, which is still not bad. I love it. I'll take it. Now, keep (laughs) in mind that... When you draw this battle tactic, you can just pick any active objective. There is no qualifications or limits in that X needs to be within X of this objective, etc. It's just draw the card, pick that objective that's active, roll the dice, then whatever the result is, you follow through. Profit, then
0: yub nub. Freedom. Profit, then yub nub. That's Get right. away from my objectives. Get away from my home. That's what the UX say.
1: So I think this is very fascinating because it brings an extra element to the game And
0: rewards you for bringing the Ewok Trappers, which have a pretty low stamina of seven. They also cost four, as opposed to the Warriors that only cost three. So you're paying this tax for this card as well. Yeah, the Hunters are definitely a little different,
1: but you're right. They took away a stamina for their global free ability that can potentially do crazy things. But yeah, because of that, they can be taken down quicker, which means you got to get used out of that trap card. I can just imagine like Pegasus from Yu-Gi-Oh saying, laughing to himself, he's like, you have activated my trap card.
0: It, but it's just an Ewok face over the, the body. Just like. <laughs> 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 yeah. <laughs> but you said the Warriors, I'm on. These guys have similarities with the Warriors with some of these abilities. Yeah. These boys out here are trapping and I'm a fan.
1: Now, the next innate ability is camouflage. At the end of setup, this unit may gain a hunker. Now, we talked about this already a little bit when it came to the Hunters. But again, if this is your first time tuning in, some of the feedback on this has been like, I don't get the point of it because when you activate a unit, you immediately remove all Hunker. However, we've talked about numerous times now how many times Ewoks can dash and can be dashed. So maybe you reserve them or if you don't draw them till later, they might be up at the board already, midpoint, before they even activate.
0: It's pretty fascinating. I think it's good. It's only good for you. You're not against it. Right? Correct. And the theme continues of these Ewoks hiding, right? Well, they're just like guerrilla warfare. It's great. Yeah, they know the woods. You're in That's their true. woods. Yeah, You're in their woods.
1: Last innate ability and last ability for the episode. Strengthen numbers. When a character in this unit makes an attack as part of a combat action for each other allied Ewok character engaged with the target that is not wounded, add one attack dice to the attack roll. It's really good. These guys coming from the side, if you're engaged with
0: somebody else, then they're going to do more damage.
1: Keep in mind a character in the unit, right? So, in theory, even though there's three Ewoks on a single base, that counts as one character. So, they can benefit off one another because they are both allied okay. characters.
0: Great shout out. Exactly so. like the Night Sisters if you played the Night Sisters. Correct.
1: Moving on to their stance card here Running Traps, range four, range attack. Five on both offense and defense. Their melee is six on offense, four on defense. Defensive expertise, situational awareness, one to two a block, three plus two block. It's fine. It's solid. Yeah. It's more in line with what you would get with most support units. Yes. Can't be mad about it, especially because they're purposefully statted lower than the average units in most cases. The sling is a ranged ability, and their expertise is one to two a damage, three plus a strike and a damage. Yeah, just downgraded wicket sling. Correct. Good shout. Spear from melee, one to two. Strike damage, three. Two strike, a damage, four plus. A
0: crit, and a damage. The damage continues on these Ewoks, right? Their traps, their expertise, the fact they give out pinned a ton and you can start stacking pins. Cool way for them to get damage without progressing down the tree necessarily. Agreed. Now, speaking of the tree
1: itself, they start off with two damage. However, here it comes. A shove. On the second tile.
0: There's that sphere
1: in your face. So a little unfortunate that it's not on the first tile, but we've gotten a lot of shoves already so far. I think this is the most shovetastic episode we've ever talked about, to be honest. The second spot being a shove is still
0: not bad. I love it. I love that every Ewok has a shove in some capacity.
1: Yeah, and the shoves don't stop here. From here, you can either continue going straight along the line to get a pin and a damage, or you can take a pivot and go downwards for a second shove and a damage. just great. Because now we're looking at that 2.53 range That's two shoves. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Now, from here, regardless of your choice, though you should probably take the shove, is you get a reposition. And then that
0: culminates in additional two more damage. Yeah, and the repositions seem to be a lot of the identity of the Ewoks as well. Everyone has one except Wicket. but Wicket has the dashes. That's fun. Like you said, you can't plan for it because it's four spots in, but more movement. When's your shatter point.
1: Agreed. Yeah, AMG did a great job of highlighting the fact that they are guerrilla warfare type creatures, right? So mm-hmm. they're going to strike, and they're going to retreat to the woods and the shadows, and then come back out. And dashes. repositions are great thematically. Pins is great thematically, because they surprise you. They attack you. You think you're like, you have to hunker down, and then they retreat. Very cool. And that concludes
0: all four units in the Yubnub box. Absolutely, Iman. One final thing I have to say about that reposition. If 3PO's in your squad, these guys are scouts, and you're in that 3PO stance, you could climb with this reposition. True. So true, some true. clone commando, General Grievous stuff, right? I like it. A lot of options, man. How are we playing this box? We're playing both boxes, is how we're doing this. That's that's certainly correct. It's unusual think- for us to talk on the show in that capacity, but that's kind of how MG's designed this, it seems. Indeed. Which I think is a good thing. The first thing that comes
1: to mind is the potential is there for the Ewoks as a whole. The biggest thing that you have to really focus on, and it's actually going to be quite difficult at first, I think their floor is actually quite high because you have to remember a ton of stuff. Everything feels so incumbent upon what other units are doing, more so than the separatists. Yes. Which is crazy. Placement matters. Activation order matters. It's incredible actually to think about how nuanced these fighters are and I think in the hands of someone who takes the time to practice and play them you're going to have some crazy shenanigans occur that you may not be prepared for. Now we mentioned in the Chief Chirp episode that it's really important to protect him but he can be aggressive and he has an extra stamina point. He has the most stamina to defend himself. Logre is similar. Low gray, you want to protect him. Now Wisdom of the Woods, again, is the tree that I think we're probably going to keep him in because six defense at range. As we get closer, and as we've both talked about many times, Shatterpoint feels like more of a melee-oriented game sometimes in terms of those melee attacks hit harder. I can see you swapping at the end of your turn to Omen of Strength to maybe tank a hit before swapping back. But you got to protect Logre because of protective wards, which is so nice.
0: Absolutely. But good shout out earlier, though, to Amon, where Logre's identity is still online, as opposed to Chirpa. So you're put in a weird spot. Like you said earlier on the 3PO segment, who do you protect? Do you protect Logre? Do you protect Chirpa? Do you do protect 3PO? Because they all give you some sort of bonus, right? In some sort of way. Very interesting. Many layers to the puzzle, many layers to the strategy, and it all works together, but you can't miss a thing. And, can't you, might miss a a l- thing. and you might need a little bit of luck.
1: Well, that's with any game, for sure. Of course. But you're right in that. The play style, again, is to surge, and I use that word deliberately, surge across the board, hit hard like maybe a big wave, and really hope that wave gives you the momentum you need to carry you across the finish line. Because when that tide ebbs, you might catch yourself out in a position where you don't want to be
0: stranded on some rock, and that's when your opponents are going to come and take you out. And that they can do, because the Ewoks, obviously, we point to Separatists because the closest analogous thing we have in the game thus far, but Separatists have one thing the Ewoks don't have in fold, which is stamina. They've got so much. So it's a different play style in the sense that the highs are higher and the lows are lower. So <laughs> I think that's good. I think that's good. The high of the Ewoks is they have way more shuffs, right? In the sense of if you're playing them all in full and all these little tricks from the traps and stuff. Anemon, we talked about in our first episode, in playing this box, it seems like it's not great going a really long, drawn-out game for Ewoks, right? Because your opponent's just getting more attrition on you, more removal, chewing through more durability. But at the inverse of that, if these trappers are still on the board, you're getting to that trap more and more. So it's a fun treat for you while, while everything else is going worse, as the game's getting drug out, I think. So that also adds to your puzzle box, though, of... Got to keep the trappers alive, too, because you got to keep this trap in your deck. I concur. There's so much. There's so much. There's I'm so much. excited to play this.
1: I am, too. And unfortunately, we did hear that they were delayed by a week in the United States, so we're probably going to get them towards the end of February. So if you're planning on taking them to a local game night, a local tournament, or even a Adepticon, which is right around the corner, about a month and a half from now, you're going to have to get to painting. Good thing about furry little creatures,
0: though. Is they're just one dry brush away from looking really good. I agree. Yeah, lots of dry brushing and contrast and stuff could work on these well, too. Or inks or things like that. Also, shout out while we're here, the custom bases are great. Like the tree branches and the rocks and all that stuff. It's just a nice little thing AMG gave us with this set, which I like a lot. The, all the Ewoks have some sort of nature element with them.
1: Yeah, what I really like about them, actually, is you can do some really good contrast work. Mm-hmm. If you... Contract is interesting contrast or speed paints because you kind of have to paint within the lines yeah you know so start with your lighter colors first and then go darker color. so maybe for wicked for example get a nice orange speed paint or contrast paint paint that orange and then very carefully get the brown around the orange before you go a little bit more loose on the rest of the mini and then from there it's just very lightly dry brushing and working up those colors in certain areas and you're going to have Some really good looking minis, I think, because they're so small that they're going to look great from afar at the tabletop level. And then if you want to spend a little bit of extra time, if you have it, just working up some highlights in certain areas, they're going to look really good up close too.
0: Oh, absolutely. And I also think there's a lot of basing options too. Me being a big basing guy and do you want to go full indoor with these or do you want to match the rest of your army? Do you want to have the Ewoks like fighting on a different planet like they came with the Rebels? Like we've talked about in the first episode where they Go with the new republic to certain places. All the options are there for you, you know. But I, I think all that said, these are prime bases to really add vegetation or tufts or more branches and stuff because it just makes sense, right? So you could go that route as well. Agreed. Well, I'm on this another episode in the bag. That's all the Ewoks done. And I'm excited about the future for these Ewoks, especially through the lens of Leia when we get more rebel reveals for this game, because this Leia identity is going to open up more paths to play Ewoks in the future. I agree, because what this allows you to do is if
1: you realize that you like Low Gray or Wicket, one of the other, and you really figured out you've got that squad down to a T, you bring Leia and the other squad, or you just take two Rebel Alliance primaries, one of them being Leia, and maybe your Wicket or your Papaloo or your Trappers or your Hunters, and you pair them with a ton of other Rebel characters, and they'll follow Leia into battle, as you said. They
0: work Mm. with the Rebel Alliance, so... I think it's pretty cool, man. Well, you get the battle tactic too, right? Presumably at some point in the future, we could have a pretty heavy rebel list, as in a lot of rebels, but with these trappers in the list and bring in this tactic. I think I find that very cool and very exciting potential of that. I think it's super exciting. And the possibilities, while I won't say are limitless, are quite vast. Yeah. Well said. This was a fun episode. I've been really enjoying the stint we've had on the forest moon of Endor hanging out with all these Ewoks, learning more about the Ewoks and how they brought down this empire. But we got to tell you guys where you can go all the places online to find us. But first we have to shout our patrons at patreon.com slash hello cast. Those are all the people that support the show, help us do what we do. We have a lot of big goals this year to travel, to cover this game in full for you. And the Patreon's the way you can help us do that. In addition to that, we got our leagues in full swing and we got a lot of fun stuff happening on the private Discord that you get access to from that Patreon. And as Amon said earlier in the year in our plans for 2024 show, we have a lot more plans for the Candid Cantina feed and hopefully extending that even more.
1: I think that's super valid. And I think that's very exciting to see. And speaking of patrons and traveling, we're actually going to have a big hello there meetup at Adepticon. We have a ton of patrons going from the United States and I believe some coming overseas from England as well. And we're going to be mobbing up and we're going to be trapping it up at Adepticon in Schaumburg, Illinois, close to Chicago. So if you want to hang out with us, we've got some meetups that we're working on and planning on. So we're going to be grabbing dinners. We're going to be grabbing drinks. We're going to be playing some pickup games. Mm -hmm. Hopefully, we're going to record and create a ton of content off this as well. So if you're interested in being a part of that journey, certainly sign up for our Patreon and show up to Chicago and come for Adepticon. If you can't make it, don't worry. We're going to share that joy and experience with you through our video and audio content. Which is super exciting and get to meet a lot of our patrons face to face. And, you know, we built a really cool community and I'm really proud of that. And I mentioned earlier on Facebook that we just hit over a hundred and one thousand place on our podcast. And I just wanted to say shout out to you, Jesse, and of course, our teamwork here for mm. come coming together and creating something that has been a lot more successful than I think we knew it would be successful, but I didn't think we think it would be this successful to the fact that we hit over six figures worth of streams in less than 10 months.
0: And to really shout out to you guys at home, because those are unique streams. You know, it's not the sort of thing where we can cheat the system or something. Hey, on. we're pushing up on 103,000 right now as we speak. So yeah. it's one of those things that you guys continue to show up and it means a lot to us and it keeps us going. It keeps us going. You guys listening, you guys subscribing, and you guys jumping on that Patreon and our private Discord and keeping the discussions going. keeps us working and keeps us putting our heart and soul into this, and we want to continue to improve. So thank you for that. A thousand percent. Thank you
1: so much for your support here, and we're super excited. Also, I want to give a big shout out to Low Fuel for our show's music. It's a banger, man, and we have people tell us all the time, we love your music, and I think that's gone a long way to get people to to listen at
0: least in the beginning because it's mm. it's almost impossible to not bob your head absolutely yeah it was just such a cool thing to have right at the gate for our show and of course you can find us all the same place online at hello there cast that's all the social media spaces x facebook instagram and twitch if you ever need to email us hello there cast at gmail.com and leave us reviews on apple podcasts and spotify and your other podcast platforms of choice it means a lot just scroll over right now give us five stars or if you can write something. We do read the words you guys write, and it keeps us moving. Absolutely.
1: Also, if you're listening on Spotify, check out some of our polls as well. Yep. Our most latest poll is, which Ewok is your favorite? <laughs> and the options are Chief Chirpa, Wicked, Pablo, Lagre, and Tebow. And if you don't know who Tebow is, do some research, because yep. it's really fun to get deep into the Ewok
0: lore. Tebow's village was the one that was destroyed to make the shield generator bunker, so... Or don't look it up and just listen to what Jesse said. Tebo's <laughs> <laughs> uh, he, he proper angry at the Empire for good reason. Proper angry. I love that. All right. Well, Jesse, where can people find you? Yeah, you can find me all the same place online. That's at Jesse Akin, J-E-S-S-E-E-A-K-I-N, X Instagram Longshanks Discord. And check out my show, Fury's Finest, where Chris and I talk every week about everything Marvel Christ Protocol, Marvel Universe, and Marvel Comics. It's been fun. We've done some heavy hitters lately, like Cosmic Ghost Rider and Immortal Hulk. That's been fun from a lore standpoint. Amon, where can everyone find you? From a lore standpoint, you can find
1: me on most places as just generally Amon on Facebook and most discords. I have Amon in the name. It's my name. On X, it's A Man Who Games. And you can check me out on my weekly podcast, Path to Glory, the Warhammer Underworlds podcast that focuses on competitive gaming, player development, and community growth. We're really excited about the state of the game, and if you're interested in checking that game out, it's turn-based, just like Shatterpoint, and
0: it's a lot of fun, and very low barrier as well for financially. Great shout! It's been fun to be on indoor with you, Amon, but we've got to move on. We got stuff coming up very soon that's very exciting for Star Wars Shatterpoint, in the way these box episodes, and then also in the way of strategy discussions. And I can't wait for it. Yep, I'm particularly
1: excited to talk about our favorite defensive Jedi. Plo Koon. Master Plo. Quite possibly one of the greatest Jedi. I think he certainly could be, depending on what time period we're looking at. If we're looking at Clone Wars, certainly
0: so. Yeah, the heir of the Republic. Yeah. Correct. He, actually, he did it. He did it. He did the he thing. Did, he did his thing, bro. Yeah. He's great. Definitely excited about that and our road to Adepticon and our road post-Adepticon as well are highlights for me coming up as well. and just like, to be a good time yeah i think the game's about to bust wide open for obvious reasons and we'll keep you along for the ride with it but thanks for listening again guys may the force be with you yub nub so uncivilized